Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. All right, this week on more to come. FlameCon moves to Times Square or, or near Times Square. Defamation lawsuit. Comicsgate. Digital Roundup. And some recent stories in PW. So... FlameCon. All right. Um, you know, this is the first time we've all been united in how long? When's the last time we were all in the office together? Yeah, it has together? been a while. Yeah. Months. And, and it, is, the, it has been not months, but a month. And this okay. is the, our first time together since we have the new More to Come graphics. Yes. So. Oh, my God. I mean, doesn't it just make you wake up in the morning and you're just ready to Absolutely. get and going with the day? Much early? like the graphic, I feel like the, we're... we're, we're Searchlights in the sky over a, <laughs> over a hulking metropolis, right. well, looking for you know to do good things. It certainly okay. does reflect our inner our, yes. our inner uh, feelings about the podcast. And, and by the way, listen, if you like the podcast, you listen to the podcast. Sometimes you put this down. I'm going to put it up front now. Uh, if you, please. Yeah. Rate us on iTunes. Yeah. If you subscribe, just give us a little rating or leave a comment. Yeah. Um, it really helps us. It helps us in every way. Um, we have the new graphic. Let us know what you think of the new graphic. Yeah. Um, you know, God forbid you don't like us. I mean, sure, yeah. go ahead and but, say but something. something. But just yeah. give us some feedback. We yeah. know you'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but let's talk about FlameCon. In fact, new and improved FlameCon. Yeah. Uh, at the Sheraton Times Square. Yeah. Which, yeah. Well, I, I was packed. I mean, Kate, you were there. How long were you there for, Kate? I was there. Uh, at, on two separate occasions on two different days. Uh-huh. So I wasn't there all day, both days, but I was there for like hmm, four hours on Saturday and like two hours on Sunday. Great. Yeah. Nice. And uh, the one thing I really noticed about FlameCon is that uh, they've outgrown their aisle size. They need their aisles to be wider because right now they're at like tiny, itty-bitty, small-town convention width, which means that you will get times when you cannot move yeah. because you're blocked into the aisle. So, I mean, I think they, my suspicion is, looking at that dealer's room, that they were underestimating how many people oh, they Oh, they get. absolutely did. I, I mean, I did in my story, I did talk a little bit to their uh, their marketing PR director, and she told me that uh, they had 7,000 people there on Saturday. That, that's, and that's the, I believe it. And I believe it also, and they said that was their highest ever. But, I mean, this was a bigger venue. It wasn't that much bigger. Yeah. And, I mean, it was. I got there at about 3 o'clock on Saturday, Calvin. I think we all got, got there about yeah, the same time, right? You, I think, we yeah. couldn't even see each other. Yeah, it was no, so no. Crowded. Well, we lucked up. You know, I found that there were varying aisle sizes throughout that hall. Uh, some aisles were adequate. Many of them were not. Yeah. Some of the ones in, toward the raised end were insanely too narrow. Uh, I got trapped in a in one that was yeah. just so tiny. Yeah. But there were other aisles that were actually fairly like spacious. But still, that's something that they need to think about. But you couldn't get through to the end of the You couldn't get through the end of the aisles. I mean, it was it's kind of, I call it the toothpaste. You know, yeah. where people congregate, they get farther down the aisle, and then it just gets jammed, and you yeah. can't even get out of the aisle. And I mean, I understand that they don't want to overspend their budget, and I'm totally on board with that. And I also understand that they don't want to exclude people from being at the con. But 
they either need to add a second dealer room, mm-hmm. which they could, mm-hmm. still using the same hotel, or they just need to have a cutoff line, which after a certain number, they don't take any more dealers because they don't have the room. Well, this is what I would say about it. And, you know, I don't know if anybody... Did you talk to any of the organizers, Calvin? Uh, I really or? didn't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, Kate, I talked to some exhibitors, yeah. but not I've really I've talked to exhibitors. I have... Uh, yeah. By the way, dear listeners, we have some bonus FlameCon uh, mini-interviews at the end of this yes, podcast. That's right. right. Yeah. Kate so. was really on the job. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? Before we get to the logistics, let's just talk about what an amazing show it was. It was an amazing yeah. show. Uh, it's it, always amazing. It, yeah. re- it really is. Um, it's just for, well, What's amazing is the, uh, for me immediately is the turnout that it gets, the oh, support yeah. for this. It's, this show has immediately become really one of the top Indie Comics Fest in New York City. Uh, well, I mean, I, you know something? It's the second biggest show in yeah. New York. Without a <laughs> it's doubt. It's way bigger than Mocha. Yeah. Mocha has, it's what, 5,000, Mocha? 6,000? Mocha deals well, I mean, bigger. Mocha, Mocha hit 7,000 last year. Oh, did it? Okay. But this is the first year it's gotten to right. that number. Right. Uh, and they're also facing a problem of a space that's way too right. small for what they Right. Do. But I think they had 7,000 both days, right? Uh, I think it was over the, I think it was over the entire yeah. weekend, but I'd have to check the numbers. There was no but way there was as many day. people. Yeah. At Mocha, as there were at FlameCon. No, you know, because that's a much bigger. Well, they have two floors at uh, Mocha, so I don't know. Yeah, but but, yeah. The, but you know, they had two floors at FlameCon yeah. also. They had more than two floors. They had like things on three yeah. different floors, and they had cosplay and and yeah. par, you know, like like promenades. They had places to yeah. go, hang out, area and staging area, yeah. music, and yeah. so they had about yeah, four or five like panels. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. they had a quiet room. They had all the things Con needs and they had panel rooms and I, I mean, mm, the lines yeah. for the panel rooms, one of the reasons they had to move from their last place was that the panels, you know, filled up and I saw people standing in line for these rooms too. Yeah, I, I didn't get well, to any but, panels. But the reason for the lines was that um, <clears throat> I actually don't know of any panels that, that people didn't get okay. into. It's just that like, People wanted to get into that panel, man. Yeah. So they mm-hmm. wanted Absolutely. to be sure. So they got in line right. ahead and they read their little schedule and they showed up yes. 20 minutes early. And that's why they were lying. Yeah. Because I agree. they take it real serious. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, but just the enthusiasm of oh, the, it, it was of really the impressive, attendees. Absolutely. And what did the exhibitors tell you guys? I mean, mm-hmm. like everyone I talked to seemed shocked by how busy it was. Um, the exhibitors that I had didn't seem so much shocked as pleased. Yeah. Like a lot of them were. FlameCon returners. I only really had one person new to FlameCon. And um, so they kind of knew what they were in for, although they were very pleased. Um, but they they just felt like it was the most positive con that they, they go to. Yeah, they were yeah. like, I just I just don't feel this kind of like happiness and love at most cons. Wow. Yeah. I talked with, uh, you know, with Ann Ishii of Massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she, I know she's been at Molt. She's been at all of these. She's actually... Yeah one of the sponsors now massive is now one of the sponsors and uh i mean she was kind of a little bit of both she she because she's been she's been in every one but even she was a little bit taken aback by just the continued growth enthusiasm and apparently sales uh that's you know that that the, the show's turned into so she was happy and you know, mildly surprised to see this thing continue to kind of grow at a at the pace it's growing. Well, here's where, listeners, I will admit I was wrong. Oh, um, what? <laughs> I am perfectly willing to admit I am wrong, and that's what I'm doing right now. So, uh, I live in Brooklyn, and FlameCon has previously been in Brooklyn, and I know that rent in New York for anything is much much higher, and I frankly thought that the 
increase in attendance would not be sufficient to justify the increase in cost. But I think I was wrong. I think the reason you saw this many people yeah. is that a vast number of people refused to go outside Manhattan. Right. And you put it in Manhattan and suddenly you get more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I don't even think it's that, Kate. I, I mean, I think you're right that a lot of people, I don't think it was definitely even people in Manhattan. I mean, let's face it, it was at Times Square and all the subways go to Times Square. So if you lived in Queens, it's really hard to get to Brooklyn. It's very easy to get to Times Square. Is, okay, I will clarify that. The old, the location for the old Flame Cons, except the first one, was in in downtown Brooklyn at a spot that actually almost all the subways that go to Times Square go to. Yes. It's just a longer ride if you're coming Mm -hmm. from Queens, that's all. I I just think that its reputation precedes it. I mean, I think this thing, I mean, all we've ever done on this show in the past is praise this thing and talk about how, what an extraordinary con it is. And I really just think all all of it's been... This big, it's incredibly well organized. Mm, absolutely, nice. the best. Everyone, um, yeah. Uh, I, I just think its reputation has caught up with it, and more and more people know that this is a fun way to spend the weekend. Well, and I thought it was just locals coming, but when I was at the con, I heard a lot of people who were not exhibitors, who were just fans, who were like, they came down for the weekend for this. Yeah, yeah and you know, I want to talk. Uh, this is a little uh, peripheral, but um, you know, one of the things about FlameCon, obviously case we haven't made this clear this yeah i think you did say it but you know this is a queer focused yes, show yes. yeah um um but you know the cosplay is incredible and you know a lot of people of color come to it yes. and yeah and you know we've had some bad news about um you know kind of more uh niche uh, events mm-hmm. this year yeah. but uh you know flame con shows that you could do this kind of event uh, there was an event at the beginning of the month at chicago called wakanda con that, that went a, really that well. That went too. really, really well. And it's actually in the city of Wakanda, spelt with a U. <laughs> yes. Named yes. before the comic book came out. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it's really important to tell these positive stories and to talk about them to make sure, you know, that, that, yeah, that, because these can be, these are such great events and, um, you know, we and need what's more the of them. organization that, that runs them? Uh, Geeks, Geeks Out. Geeks Out, yeah. yes. Well, you know what? I have a metric for you that uh, I, I wrote this a little half of the story in my piece but um i didn't get the whole story so i I, it it was held at the sheraton new york and i remembered it was maybe before kate was born but calvin might remember (laughs) that there was a convention (laughs) held there in the 90s do you remember do you You know i i I knew there were the the cons i knew about were the ones at at what the the old hotel pennsylvania oh those were antediluvian kate literally wasn't to fill the big con niche um, dynamic Forces put on a show at that New York Sheraton. Yeah. And they had, as I recall, it was the first show. Uh, people came from out of town. They had incredible guests. Like, they had Steve Dillon was there. They had a lot of British yeah. creators were there. Um, John McRae was there, I recall. It was kind of like the Vertigo crew. And so I asked Nick, I said, is, is this, did you really do this show there? And he said, yes. I said, how many people came? He said, I think it was 3,000 people. So, um, and that was a mainstream con. And that was a mainstream mm-hmm. con in 1996. With no competition. That was no competition. Mm-hmm. And it, But it was such a dark time for comics that you could only get 3,000 people to come out for the biggest stars of the time. Yeah. And now... You know, twenty years later, you have seven. You can barely fit all the people in who want to come to this. You know, supposedly, you know, specialized show. I mean, it's just really extraordinary yeah. where, where how far we've come. But I, 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 I do ahead. think the niche aspect really helps it mm-hmm. because I know for a fact that a lot of, I mean, I, I know these people. A lot of people who will not come out for New York Comic Con right. who are like, 
you know, like I love web comics and I'm queer and I have, you know, I guess I'd love the cosplay, but New York Comic Con's like big and scary and too hardcore for me. And I don't think it would be friendly to me because I'm not straight and I'm not a straight white boy. I don't want to go. But like you put FlameCon in front of them, you give them a reasonable entry price right. and a guaranteed friendly environment and a lot of internet comic sensations as well as yeah, just absolutely. print comic people. And they're on it like a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And also, let's remember, there's a, there's an intimacy to these shows. Even yeah. though we're talking about the thousands of people that come to. I mean, it's much more intimate. You're talking to these people right across oh, the table. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, you know, you're yeah. not. And there was a great guest list. Yeah. I mean, there was Amazing. people from out of town, yeah. too, like Mariko Tamaki. And, yeah, yeah. Noel Stevenson. Yeah, like Noel Stevenson and Molly Ostertag. Yeah. I'd like to join, Kate, in one thing. I, that I also was worried about the show moving out of Brooklyn. Yeah. I just thought it would lose some flavor. I was just worried what was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, you thought it might get more generic. I you thought know, it might get more generic, but, too. you know, really, it was a good idea. Yeah. Particularly when I saw the size of the hall. Even though it was too small, <laughs> it was so much bigger that I really said, you know, this is actually a really good idea. And once again, it hasn't, it didn't lose any of the of the great feeling of the organization. No, not at all. Uh, no, 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 no way. I, I think just what they need to do is they need to pull a Dragon Con and have a second dealer's room. Well, it, it's a great show. It's an amazing and, show. Um, hey, Go next year. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I mean, I, I think I ended up blowing like 80 bucks there on books. Yeah, I, I got a few things. Fortunately, people gave me things too. Yeah, people so give me things. My you got just, you know, you got to just like work it. <laughs> oh, if I could mention very quickly, actually, I had a great, uh, delightful talk with uh, some people I knew. Uh, uh, the women from uh, Sparkler Monthly. Yes, they were there. Um, Leanne yes. and Rebecca, very good to talk with them. We have uh, we an were... interview with them at the end. Oh, great. Even better. And we I, and we were all at the, the table with Hazel and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, and Annie Mock mm-hmm. showing off their new work. So that was a lot of fun to everybody. Yeah, just yeah. so many great cartoonists. Yeah. I, you know, I, I compared it to, uh, not that I have been, but I just kind of imagined that the enthusiasm that I felt at FlameCon was a little bit like the whole idea of Comiquette. Because Comiquette is, you know, the world's biggest Comic-Con, which is held in Tokyo. And it's like, it draws like 400,000 people. And uh, each day they have... It's twice a year. Yeah, it's twice a year. But every day they have different different displays but it's 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 fan works that's the yeah, thing it's, yeah it's for it's literally they have a large enough fan comic creator base right that they can fill an enormous hall with nothing but comic fan comics yeah, yeah. yeah. and Pretty people amazing. who want to buy fan comics and i i feel like there was i mean there obviously there was some tremendous you know pro creators there yeah. but i there was also a lot of just kind of homegrown stuff yeah. That was web comics or you know Kickstarter comics, and those had huge followings. Yeah. I, I just felt like you know it doesn't need to be published. I mean, God knows it doesn't need to be published by Marvel or DC yeah. to be. Yeah, uh, at FlameCon, yeah. people who were published by Marvel and DC were treated with the same respect and exactly the same respect as some local creator who had a web comic yeah. or who had some like beautiful pinup art. Yeah, like it was all together in one beautiful pot, and fans loved all of it. And um, I did not see, I think people now understand what FlameCon is, because I did not see that sticks out like a sore thumb. Good God, what are you doing here, Boots, <laughs> like I did the first couple of years, where I was just like, so Con Edison, you're here at FlameCon, why? Uh, no, well, it you know, anymore. if you smell gas, you could have a flame. Aha, aha, aha. She'll be here all week. All right. 
On that note. Okay. <laughs> well, let's turn to some way less pleasant yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so the indie comics world, which, you know, the fellowship of FlameCon and shows like TCAF and SPX has been rocked yeah. by uh, a lawsuit um, filed by a guy named Cody Pickrod. That's Cody Pickrod. Uh, I want to repeat, the name of the man who's filing the suit is Cody Pickrod. And uh, he is filing a defamation suit against... Uh, Whitney Taylor, Laura Netzker, Emma Luthen, Emmy Jenis, Ben Passmore, Hazel Newlevent, Tom Kaczynski, Jordan Shively, and Morgan Pielli. Uh Some of them the most acclaimed cartoonists yeah. of our day. Um, so basically, he is suing them for defamation over uh, something that happened last fall where Wit um, posted a story as Me Too was getting go- going about uh, sexual assault at the hands of Cody Pickrod that she claimed alleged alleged sexual assault and some of these other people uh, I, I believe that Laura, Emma and Emmy all backed it up and had similar um, among the allegations uh, sexual harassment, anti-Semitic remarks and withholding payment of royalties to artists whose work he's yeah. printed. That's just all, bad news. All allegations, alleged allegations against a man named Cody Pickrod. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I gotta stop doing yeah. that. And so... Um, and we, we, sh- we should emphasize that these allegations were in a Google Doc. Yes, and they were on social media, on, but they yeah. were not they, yeah. they were not secret. But, you know, yeah. they were... Pro- but neither were they published on the front no. page they of a newspaper. Published, no. No. However, some of the... the um, some of the co-defendants... Oh, uh, you know, Josh O'Neill and Rob Clough are also... Yes. And right. as is Uncivilized Books. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they are all being uh, included in the suit to... Um, uh, because they p- tweeted things like that they felt that yeah. they did not feel safe at a show where this man was and that he should not be allowed to be another show. So anyway, he's suing for defamation to say that his career has been completely derailed yeah. by this. Mm. Um, you know, he was a small press publisher. His, the name of his company uh, is Ray Ray, Ray Ray Books. Books. Yes, which, you know, they've been around. They've been at all the shows. Yeah, uh, I've heard the name. I don't yeah. really know his books. Yeah, you know, I mean, he wasn't... Uh, yeah. He wasn't the biggest and he wasn't the smallest. So anyway, I mean, $2.5 million. I mean, one of these people who's a defendant was just had an Indiegogo because he couldn't pay his rent. I mean, yeah. this is just, you know, yeah. onerous for them. And uh, this just happened. Um, you know, this could set a really bad precedent. This uh, is definitely what you would call a slap lawsuit. Right, right. And can you, do you know a little bit more about what that so is? So a explains? slap lawsuit is... Yes. Can I? Yeah. Yes. Uh, a strategic yeah. lawsuit against public participation. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a slap lawsuit is to to narrow it down is when you have money and someone who does not have nearly as much money is saying something that you find negative or embarrassing. And you may actually not have a very good case against them. Right. But you figure if you sue them, they will not be yeah. able to afford the legal case, so they will shut up even though they are well within their rights. Right. Right. Now, apparently, you know, there's a really good article about this on tcj.com, commerce written by Alec Berry. So I refer everybody to that because yeah. he really goes into a lot of details. Yeah. And, you know, this would definitely sound like a slap lawsuit because, I mean, he knows full well that none of these people have enough money, let alone $2.5 million. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're never going to get this money. Should it buy it? But you're just going to, yeah. to grind them into misery. <laughs> but, but apparently, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, this must be, uh, you know, anti-fall and anti-slap laws but uh, some lawyers are saying that new york's anti-slap yeah. statute is is not 
is to, not cover this. Yeah. And the, the, the other issue here is the very nature of this suit as a defamation suit. Now, I don't know, the, I'm not a lawyer and I don't know the law, though I have had to write in the past articles uh, 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 involving publishing and defamation. And my understanding uh, as an amateur and know nothing is that um, uh, the truth and evidence of the truth uh, is an absolute defense against defamation. Right. Uh, so to whatever extent that this assault can be proved, uh, I would assume is an excellent defense against this lawsuit. Except for how you have to pay legal fees. Right. Now, legal fees are always going to be expensive. Yes. Um, uh, but I suspect uh, there will be support. Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of ways this lawsuit could be dismissed. I mean, yes. uh, if, if he is proven to be a public figure... Yes. Uh, it would be dismissed because this is, you know, you would have to prove malicious intent. My heart is just going out to all the defendants. You know, these are some of our favorite people Absolutely. in the world. Uh, they're and not just talented people. They, no. uh, they're good people. They're good people. And, you know, I 100% believe every single word they've said. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are hoping that the CBLDF would step in. Um, this does not appear to be a First Amendment issue, which is what the CBLDF normally covers. Um, there's been a lot of talk on social media. There's a lot of criticism of the CBLDF, but um, you know they have to do things by their rules. They're a yeah. nonprofit, and they need to have their board, um, you know, uh, decide that this is the kind of yeah. case that they could take they on. They have a legally chartered mission. Yes, to, yes. They're five hundred one c three. Their funding, their nonprofit status, focuses on them hewing to what their mission statement yeah. is. Now, to be fair, they could change their mission statement to include sl- slap lawsuits. But um, they have not, so yeah. they can't just pick this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and honestly, I don't know how that can be changed. I'm not saying it can't. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not, uh, I, don't know how they're, I don't know how these uh, organizations are structured. Uh, I don't think it's uh, just a, a lark to be able to completely change your mission statement. But certainly, if there's some way that this could be anticipated for the future, then perhaps, yes, CBLF yeah. should look at, at, at making sure uh, it can provide some yeah. assistance. And, yeah, and I mean, you know, this is in the Me Too era. I don't think we've seen a, a lawsuit like this, have we? I haven't heard about any um, other ones. I don't know. I'm I don't know. I feel like the there have been... People, some of the Me Too accused, haven't they filed countersuits also? Mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying I, to remember. I, I kind of feel like there have been a few I lawsuits with some of the less... Right, less prominent yeah, people. Yeah, I think that there have been some countersuits, right? Uh, in right, suits and countersuits and the yeah. allegations. Right, and you know, um, yeah. yeah. So look, we'll be monitoring this. Obviously, when there is more news to talk about, we'll return to the topic. Yeah, yeah, but you know, just what I was just saying. You know, these are allegations; they are yeah. not proven in court. So, um, you know, but I. Uh, these are great people. I would hate to see uncivilized books go out of business because of this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. so um, another sorry topic. Yes. Well, you know, this kind of ties into FlameCon because, uh, you know, there have, we've talked about it here on the show. It's something I prefer not to write about because it's like, you know, uh, Bloody Mary. You say it three times, it shows up. But, you know, comics, there is a comics gate movement. That's a proud comics gate movement. They love calling themselves comics gate. And, um, you know, there's nothing you can do to stop it because we do have free speech and we also have all of these, um, you know, social media platforms. And we also have a highly Google-juiced uh, 
quote unquote news platform. Right, right. Um, so yeah, that. But I, I mean, Google uh, and Twitter and Facebook all thrive on on this kind of conflict because it gets them hits and, and all that stuff. So anyway, Comicsgate has been out there. But yeah. you know, yesterday, uh, and the artist Ethan Van Skyver is sort of at the heart of a lot of this. Um, you know, he has there. There's a bunch of artists who have definitely pitched their tents yeah, in the Comicsgate yeah, camp. Yeah. Ethan yeah. Van Skyver is one of them. Um, you know, Mike S. Miller, I'm just reading now, has yeah. just put up some kind of swastika mm. on his social media. Oh, for Pete's sake. That's... Let me guess. It's quote unquote ironic. Well, he says it's what social justice warriors, quote unquote, should use as their symbol because they're the real Nazis by forcing people yes. to read stories about Surely. diversity. By forcing people. You know, that's one of the things <laughs> yes, they're that's... always going on about is this forced diversity. Yeah. Like, what is forced diversity can you explain this to me yeah. it's when somebody puts diversity in a book they want to read otherwise. <laughs> it's like i wanted to read captain america and they force diversity on me oh god, god. you standing around forcing people to yeah buy well you know there was a pretty like if he, and you know i've argued with these people a little bit um, Why? Because, well, they're always using statistics. Like whenever, you know, they are like our dear president. You notice how when, when uh, you know, the, the stock market is doing well, he tweets about it all the time. But when it doesn't do well, suddenly there is no such thing as a stock market. So these comic skaters are the same. It's like when there's a sales chart that comes out where sales are falling, it's like, look at this. Look what they're doing to destroy comics. And, you know, when the sales are doing well, they don't mention them at all. But I, so I've gotten into factual arguments where they're talking about, you know, lowering sales. I said, well, you're not looking at this. And like, well, you're just talking, you know, it's it's hopeless. It's absolutely hopeless. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things where, like, there's literally no point in arguing with them only, because they are not arguing in good faith. Yeah, yeah. They're, only, they're only looking for data that supports well, their position well, and, well, and they're ignored the data that doesn't. Yeah, but, you know, they also just want to, bring pros to their side so yesterday a uh, pretty awesome thing happened um you know there was a, a video of the late great darwin cook saying that he didn't like turning uh you know previously canonically straight characters gay and um you know he said that while i was alive that was known he got and some flack for I it mean, it was argued as, right. it's within the range of reasonable opinions to right, have right so one of the comic skaters posted thanks for the story about darwin cook tonight guys my favorite artist here's a video that shows that he would have been comic skate Okay, and then, just like, you know, Annie Hall, um, his widow, Marsha, got on Twitter. She normally has a locked account, but she came out of it for this. She said, hi, guys, this is Darwin's wife, and I can guarantee he thought you were comics case idiots were a bunch of crybaby losers ruining comics, because you are. And, uh, you know, what people are standing up and cheering. And, you know, she went on, she went on after it, and, uh, you know, they went after her savagely, and amazingly well my my other favorite favorite and air quotes part was when she, ethan van skyver who knew darwin and marcia because you know he's a pretty prominent pro they yeah. had been hung out together and uh she said you know ethan why don't you tell your followers to stop harassing me and he just said oh i think you should just block them i mean he wouldn't do it he wouldn't tell them to stop he's like you know you're really misunderstanding what they're saying and you know, when, when I know a Dar, you know, I wish. Uh, despicable. It was just despicable. despicable. It was just despicable. And so. I can't call off my own flying monkeys. Yeah. That despicable. would be wrong. That's, that's the nature of. So, you know, I don't know what you guys. I mean, we've talked about the comic skate movement here a little bit. Mm. And, you know, this week, another thing, which, oh, by the way, awesome news that we didn't really talk about was that uh, there was going to be a 
uh, a um, oh God, now I'm forgetting her name. Uh, Riri Williams. Oh, that's yes, mini series yes, yes. written by Eve Ewing, yes, who is yes. an, a poet and academic from Chicago. Yes, yes. Uh, and you know, Riri is from Chicago, and mm-hmm. uh, people had a petition to get her to write this comic. And of course, the minute, and she's also African American, mm. as is Riri yes, Williams. Yeah, no, that's and good. when, which is great, you know, more props to Marvel. Like they really cast this well. And then, of course, uh, the. The comic skaters were like, oh, another, you know, never written comics before. How dare they do this? And apparently what was said was so bad that the ringleader got his Twitter revoked for a bit. (laughs) And, um, but anyway, you know, we don't really talk about this. But, I I mean, there's been kind of a lot of arguing about whether more comics pros should take a stand against comic skate. Mm -hmm. Or whether by addressing it, they're giving them attention. And, um, you know, Jeff Jeff Lemire uh, did... He did post a, a tweet today. Um, let's see if I can find it. I might not be able to because Twitter. But I mean, what do you guys think? Should more people be making a stand or should we continue kind of ignoring it? Well, I, I mean, I think obviously prominent people should come out and say something, sure. Well, I mean, I think if 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 prominent people are at all Comicsgate adjacent, yeah. if their fans are, you know, doing it in their guard, in their you know, lock garden in their private area, then like, yeah. Or if people are going, ah, Comicsgate, no, look at uh, Bob Smith's book. It's amazing for Comicsgate. Like, you know, at that point, it might be reasonable to say like, I didn't do it for you. Right. And I don't support what you stand for. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think people have... on Twitter and on social media, they may not even know what the hell they're talking about. Well, that's true. I I don't (laughs) feel like people have a moral obligation to make a big deal out of it. I can certainly see the perspective of like, let's not give it more air. Right. But I think it's reasonable from both ends. It's reasonable for comics creators to be like, hey, I think this is really putting a negative tone in our community. I think we shouldn't do it. Right, and it's also reasonable for people to be like, I don't want to give these doofuses more attention. Right, yeah. right. Um, well, here's Jeff's tweet: Comicsgate is based on fear, intolerance, bigotry, and anger. The comics creators emerging today are too talented, too smart, and too loud to be beaten by these weak people. It's time we all started standing up for one another. Word and yeah, uh, you know, I see Bill Sienkiewicz came out. Uh, you know, my uh, DC women k- kicking ass. Um, she kind of she hasn't been around in a while, but she wrote a pretty brilliant thread. If you uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to read it. There is yeah, a cancer do. on this industry, and the fear and silence of publishers and creators is disgusting. Your Wednesday warriors are go- aren't going to last forever. The DM market is slowly dying. Floppies are flat. You know, digital and trades are the future. You know, women are part of that future. You know it. I know it. But as long as the female hating cancer sits on you, you are chipping away at that future. The core audience is going to continue to shrink, and the vicious few whipped into a hateful frenzy by a shitty penciler and a failed comic writer will shrink. So cater today and pay tomorrow. Your silence is collusion. Your silence is enabling. Your silence may bring you dollars today, but will cost more tomorrow. It will be remembered. Anyway. All right. I can't blame her. No. And I mean, yeah. So anyway, I would just like to see every comics, you know, I, I will say maybe it's a little bit of a... Uh, a purity test on some people's part. Some people are assuming that if you don't speak against Comicsgate, you're enabling it. But Comicsgaters yeah. also think if you don't speak against it, you're forum too. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I feel yeah. like I yeah. would not hold that against anybody not I mean, speaking a, about there's it. There's a lot of people who like don't want to get into this shit yeah. on the internet, and I can't blame them. Uh, I'll say this. I mean, I also believe that all of the stuff that that uh, that she said is happening, and for the most part, it's happening not. Uh, 
to escape comic gators, but because there's so much tremendous, great, exciting work being well, done yeah, absolutely. by such a broad I mean, range of artists. You know. They're going to be left in the dustbin of history because this is where comics fans are going who really want to read new, exciting, really well-done comics material. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are definitely some creators who are being targeted by these, by the comic creators. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've been, had a few little run-ins with them, but they, they lose interest in I'm, me quickly, so. I'm really glad that comic is not as big as Gamergate. Yes. Because, yeah. I mean, it's bad enough as it is. If it were a, a industry-devouring cancer the way Gamergate is... I don't think I'd feel as comfortable in the comics. Well, community. I I think there's there's two reasons that it never got as big as comics gate. Number or gamergate. Number one, comics are smaller than video games. Video games. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, even percentage wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also when and a lot of people have said this that when gamergate started, immediately everybody freaked out about it and gave them more oxygen by fanning the flames and by giving them more to you know argue. Whereas comics gate really, I, mean, I don't know if we have talked. Have we talked about we it? Have yeah, we have in passing. But, yeah. but we, we haven't because but we you know people have been trying to starve it of oxygen. And, you know, you can't because YouTube is not going to do it, so. <laughs> right, yeah, but I mean, you can starve it at least a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, you know, yeah. just in case anybody's wondering, I think Comics Great is full of crap. Yeah, okay. Well, I agree. I think Comics Great is full of crap, too, and it's full of, sh- uh, yeah. Are you, full of- are you surprised, are you surprised that our podcast is not like Comics Gate? I know, I know you're shocked, dear yeah, listeners, if you've listened to one episode of our show. Yeah. And by the way, I'm going to go out on a limb and say... If you're a listener of ours and you agree with Comicsgate, I would ask you to think twice about agreeing with Comicsgate. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're appealing to your better angels. Yeah. All right. Um, the digital roundup. Do you want to start out, Kate? Okay. So I just wanted to let you know that, oh, my God. Walmart is accidentally getting oh. into the world of digital comics. <laughs> oh, my that's God. First it was it. DC. Now digital <laughs> comics. They're destroying the that's, world. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Calvin. Do you, you want me some background? Yeah. On this? Yeah. Why don't you give some background? Story. Yeah. Well, look, this is a this is a deal that was announced uh, earlier this year. I think in January, um, Rakuten Co- Kobo, uh, which is a global internet bookseller based in Toronto, but... Um, uh, but owned, owned by, by Rakuten. Owned by Rakuten. a Japanese retailer. Um, they, uh, Kobo actually is very competitive on the world uh, e- uh, e-book selling market. Uh, they are roundly beaten in the in North America and in the U.S. Uh, they've been looking to get a foothold in the American market in lots of ways. Uh, this is their effort. What they've done, they've signed a deal with Walmart to um, basically to provide ebook sales for Walmart, to provide, they also sell their devices. So in many ways, what this does is gives them a physical, since they're an online retailer, this gives them a physical presence to sell their devices because they also have um, tablets and dedicated e-readers that they sell in addition to selling ebooks. So uh, yes, as part of this deal, Walmart will have a couple hundred digital graphic novels of one kind or another to sell. I think they've got a fair amount of Marvel and DC, um, some IDW and Dark Horse books. And some European stuff. And some European stuff. Uh, they might even have uh, a couple of... I know they at one point Kobo had a deal with D&Q. 
uh, to do some Chester Brown stuff. But even but most of DNQ artists didn't want their books to be <laughs> digital, so I don't know how many more they have. God so bless. oh DNQ, you know, so up with the times. Uh, this Kobo basically expects this to help their profile in North America, and whether or not they sell very many comics, I don't think they're terribly worried about it. Okay. Just so, my opinion. Yeah. I'm not deeply worried yeah. myself. Okay. Um, but in other digital news, uh, comics are coming, speaking of games, comics are coming to the Nintendo Switch. There's a dedicated app-subscription service called Inky Pen. Inky Pen. Which is uh, built for the Switch. Um, it includes comics and graphic novels on an all-you-can-read basis. And uh, they said their catalog contains over 10,000 U.S. comics, European comics, and manga. And um, it can be read any way you want to use your Switch. And the monthly subscription fee is is $8. Um, and it, it launches in November. So it's interesting that the first really comics e-tailer to come to the Switch is a dedicated niche service. I would have thought Comixology would have colonized that ground already, but I guess they <laughs> haven't. Um, so good luck to Inky Pen, because it's just a sign that comics are more and more everywhere. Okay. And uh, hopefully it'll make some money for the comics industry. Yeah. Okay. Well, more platforms, more yeah. sales. More platforms, more Be sales. Be everywhere. And um, what? It looks like um, DC Universe, DC's mm-hmm. new um, streaming service, which I'm, yep. I'm still not sure they've announced. A, I mean, it's supposed to start in the fall, right? 2018. Yeah. But I don't know if you have a, an exact date. I think it's supposed to start in October. Is it October? I, okay, I, I think, stand corrected. But, but mm. maybe. Uh, but they're going to have a, a, what, a daily news show starring Kevin Smith? <laughs> Oh well, it, the premiere is going to star Kevin Smith. I don't know if it's clear that Kevin Smith will yeah, be on be every, every day. I hope not. <laughs> I think Kevin Smith will be more in the nature of a very special guest from time right. to time. Um, that's my guess. Because it's very the, the release was very sort of cagey on that. It was like a special pre, you know, premiere dash uh, preview with Kevin Smith. So I Bait don't know that switch. he'll always be on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Part of me is like, is there really enough comics news of, of interest and DC-related comics news of interest to uh, populate a daily news show? But we don't know how long it's going to be, and we don't know what its content's going to be like. So, uh, well, that's an interesting choice. But their promotional <laughs> picture that came with it was like this very like posh little DC-oriented studio. Well, that. You know- Somebody spent some real money you on You know, uh, my impression is that Warner Brothers Corporate is really behind this D- DC streaming and they're really into it. And also as they go with uh, AT&T, obviously, you know, AT&T is a big giant platform. They bought Warner Brothers to get more content and uh, DC Universe is a lot of streaming content. And now there's a daily show and, you know, and do the math. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah more well, content to stream to on devices. And <laughs> speaking of... If the fans vote with their dollars. Yeah. It's yeah. Be very interesting well, I'm I'm going to be really honest. I think that no one is going to subscribe to the service just for that daily news thing. I don't uh, think they no. are. Well, you can. Yeah, as I understand it, you can get it anyway on like YouTube and. I don't uh, think anybody's. I think gonna... you can. You know, I think if you want it, you're, you're not necessarily going to have to pay for it at least at the beginning. Uh, well, I mean, the the initial like 
promo dash preview will be you know open to the general public because they want to lure you in but i just don't think it's going to be that amazing to be frank but anyway i think the first several episodes are going to be on facebook twitch Mm. and on um youtube Mm. on dc's youtube channel so yeah listen you know they have an uphill battle with dc universe i mean they do have original content on there but you know as my lyft driver in la said i'm not gonna pay eight dollars a month just for four bad tv shows (laughs) yeah i mean i I think if they genuinely genuinely go agree with her if genuinely go the uh marvel digital unlimited route and digitize a large chunk of dc's back catalog then you'll get people but if you just put in like a few famous trades and then the TV shows, nah, well, we'll see. It's not I mean, in their, in their press stuff, they constantly say it's going to be thousands of titles. We'll see whether that's actually the case. So, I mean, Kate, are you prepped for DC Universe? I'm very cautious mm-hmm. because I have long wanted a DC version of Marvel Digital Unlimited. Yes, I I love old DC comics, and there's a lot of back catalog out there I've never been able to get my hands on at any price that I was willing to pay for it. So that would be amazing if that's what it was. But I'm not convinced that that's what it'll be. <laughs> I think it's very interesting that, that you know, the idea of getting these these TV shows is just, you know, so what to us. But the idea of getting, like, a well, Marvel <laughs> Unlimited I'll, is like, yeah, hell yeah, $9, well, I'll let, pay that. Well, let me it's explain cheap. why. <laughs> if it were more comics, that would be content that would cost more and be harder to get. Whereas, let's face it, there's no shortage of things you can stream that's television. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm going to pay about the same for some DC content that I would pay for all of Netflix, <laughs> all of freaking Netflix, then they better have some more stuff on there than six television shows. Because six versus, I don't know, 100,000 is like, well, I don't know, man. Which one do yeah, I want boy, to spend I, my money I on? I really love Dick Grayson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it kind of cries out for like the whole like, pay for one month and binge the entire series and then cancel treatment yeah yeah because uh you know well that's why they're doing a daily news show yeah well who cares yeah so i think that's what i'm coming away with so far as who cares but speaking of services that someone might actually subscribe to crunchyroll dash elation um known for uh the crunchyroll anime streaming service and a wide variety of programming streamed through quote unquote verve um is adding a original animation wing so they are going to be doing their own unique digital content i don't know what countries it's going to be aimed at or sold to but i mean aside from you know us so but it, it's interesting that they're getting into the original content business I mean, the, the, the transformation of Country Roll has been pretty. pretty it's been amazing. pretty amazing. It's From been pr- basically a, a pirate site to really a major, um, major platform supporter, for, and yeah, uh, uh, you know, a legal, a legal platform for not just animation but for for streaming manga. Yeah. The, okay, I'm going to I'm going to back up here. It's not major for manga. Well, I've it's seen not their... major for manga, but it's an interesting. It's interesting. It's not major. Uh, All right. Okay. Well, um, uh, kind listeners, um, I'm you know since this is a PW podcast, very quickly we've had a couple of features that have uh, gone up 
Oh, really, one feature in, a, in, a, in another story. Um, very recently, uh, Rob Salkowitz, friend of the show, uh, a Forbes journalist, business analyst, and pop culture um, analyst as well. Uh, he wrote a feature on comics and the gaming development market, both video games and tabletop gaming. And I think it's a really good plunge into the subject of the intersection between comics uh, and, and game producers. On the one hand, you have... <clears throat> Uh, comics producers uh, and gamers have uh, complementary content. Their fans are kind of really fans of the, the same kinds of subject matter. Uh, comics is about a billion dollar industry. The video game industry is about a hundred and eight billion dollar industry. Um, but the but the at their intersection, there are incredible revenue uh, possibilities for both sides. So Rob gives a quick history of the. Um, uh, video games and comics, I think starting with the Atari's 1978 Superman game, on up through the technical advances uh, in the medium that's kind of allowed you know, motion and rich uh, visuals to come to, to play and to really use action and game control. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, then he, he looks through uh, the history of Marvel and DC with gaming franchises, Arkham Asylum, uh, um, and, and some of the others, um, Injustice, uh, and the subsequent comics that came out of these franchises. On through the indies, I, I know IDW and Dark Horse in particular. Dark Horse actually has art books based on gaming franchises that are right, some of its right. biggest sellers. Yeah, that's really Dark Horse's bread and butter these it days. It really is, and they say so as much in yeah. the story. Yeah. Uh, uh, on through the indies. So, give it a look-see. Uh, in addition, um, your co-host wrote a piece, or rather put together a, a hot topic for PW on forced migration and graphics work. And so we have, I think, six works. Uh, and we look at, just uh, to give you a taste of what's out there, uh, Freedom Hospital, uh, a story of really set on the Syrian border and, and dealing with Syrian refugees. Um, it's, an, it's a novel, but it's, it's based on the conflict there. Uh, Alpha, uh, once again, a fictional story that's based on um, uh, traveling from Ivory Coast, trying to get to Europe. Um, uh, illegal by Oin Korfer and Andrew Duncan, um, uh, beautifully illustrated uh, fictional story about a brother and a sister who, who take off on a perilous journey to get to Europe to find their sister. Uh, another fictional work, undocumented, uh, a worker's fight, uh, which is really a Tory stolen these beautiful uh, pre-Columbian drawings uh, uh, in an accordion-style comic <laughs> about undocumented Mexican workers and their struggle to organize. So I'm going to leave it at that, but uh, go to publishersweekly.com slash comics and you can see both of these, these uh, articles. Okay, so I'm going to try to keep the briefs really brief because we have all these wonderful interviews from FlameCon that we have to fit at the end. Okay, so um, we have the Hugo Awards just came out yes. and Monstrous by uh, Marjorie Liu and Santa Takeda has one best graphic story, well deserved there, and for Monsters Volume Two, The Blood, and also Santa Takeda won Best Professional Artist for the year. Which really, when you compare her art to what's on the cover of fantasy and science fiction novels, which are fine but not that amazing, she totally deserves it. Go her. Um, we have a new some news coming out of Oticon. Uh, there's going to be a new. Uh, American-North American uh, manga publishing company 
It's going to be called Denpa. The first book should be coming out in a few months. We wish them well. It's always great to see someone joining joining the fold. Yeah, and a shout-out to Ed Chavez, a friend of the show who we've Mm -hmm. known for many years, who used to be at Vertical, uh, who's going to be running it. Yeah, if anyone from Vertical is involved in your manga project, that's a very good sign. Vertical is very good at what they do. Um, And on a manga-related note, so... Near and dear to my heart is a salaryman comic called uh, Kosaku Shima, where basically it's about a really nice guy who just works really hard at work and <laughs> and uh, occasionally gets drunk on sake. And so the um, a brewery in Japan, uh, after the recent flooding, had a problem where their facility got flooded and so their sake was not their usual quality and they were trying to figure out what do they do with it because it's still drinkable and so they teamed up with the creator of uh, salaryman kosakashima to come up with kosakashima uh charity uh branded sake (laughs) where they'll sell the sake and a lot of the money will go to charity for the flood victims and nothing will go to waste nice and a fan base will be harnessed nice better than the walking dead wine yes Ah. yes or the game of thrones wine yes ale (laughs) or the really probably not very good rosa versailles wine or don't buy it or the New York Mets wine. Do not drink. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> no way. It's flat. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, one more note. Um, Fence, the LGBT fencing comic um, from Boom, is going from individual issues to original graphic novel. I think it's probably a better fit for its audience because it's selling really well as a graphic novel. It is. And maybe... Not quite as well as a floppy, um, but we'll still be getting it on a regular basis, about two volumes a year. And so congratulations to Joanna the Mad and C.S. Picot. We have an interview with them, dear listeners. Yes. Go on back into our yes, archives. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I think volume two will be out in January, and then there's another volume coming out in 2019. Yep. And so on that note, dear listeners, over to FlameCon. This is Kate Fitzsimmons from PW Comics World, more to come, and I'm here at FlameCon 2018 with T. Franklin, author of Bingo Love and the upcoming Image Comics series, Juke Joint. Cool. Can you tell us a little about these two books? Well, Bingo Love is a black queer romance graphic novel about two young girls who meet each other at Bingo and decide to go for it and have feelings for each other but because the time period is not allowed and they get busted kissing and their grandparents give an ultimatum go straight or be disowned and they do what they believe is normal and right so 50 years later after kids and grandkids and marriages they run into each other at bingo now they need to decide should they stay in a loveless marriage or be together and spend the rest of their lives together awesome and what's juke joint juke joint is a southern gothic horror five-issue miniseries um, set in the 1950s. It's a jazz brothel. We've got some sex workers. We've got some murder. We've got um, sex. Lots of sex. (laughs) And um, we also have a domestic violence angle story that happens in the book as well. And 
for those who order the Mike Hawthorne cover for issue number one. The proceeds go to Mariska Hargitay of Law & Order SVU. It goes to her charity, the Joyful Heart Foundation, that helps with domestic violence survivors as well as the backlog of rape kits. Great. And so how is your FlameCon 2018 going? FlameCon has been amazing. This is one of my favorite cons. Everyone is so calm and, and accepting and just loving and kind. This is this is really one of the best cons that I've ever done. I've, this is my second year doing FlameCon in a row. And I just I just love this con. I really do. I'm just I'm thankful that they have me as a guest here. So it's it's really cool. The people here have been they stop and they see these queer black grandmas and they're like whip washing. Like, what is this? So it's been really amazing. And um, if you could tell our listeners one thing, what would it be? Love is love, man. Like, anybody is deserving. Any and everybody is deserving of love. Um, Someone's what? It doesn't matter who There's you a are. Lot, yes. and are you feeling about It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone deserves love, as long as that person is deserving of your love and they're respectful of you. Um, that would be my to say. Thank you so much. This is Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm here from Publishers Weekly Comic World, More to Come, and I'm here with Jennifer Doyle. And can you tell me a little bit about what books you're showing here today? Uh, at FlameCon, I'm showing Night Serent, which is my ongoing uh, revenge, medieval revenge thriller. And I'm debuting Battery Acid, which is a gay coming-of-age story focusing around two teens playing baseball. And can you tell me how your uh, FlameCon 2018 is going? It's been going great. It's my first time going to FlameCon, but it's been a very welcoming convention. And the atmosphere has been very, like, friendly, and it's been doing well overall. <laughs> Great. And if you could tell our listeners anything, what would it be? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Write what you enjoy and want to see. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm here at FlameCon 2018, and I'm here with... Hi, my name's April Pierce. And can you tell us a little bit about your comic I see here? Sure. So uh, I'm the lead artist and lead writer for The Prince and the Swan, a fairy tale comic, webcomic about, uh, about princes who fall in love. And their basic story follows that of Swan Lake. So talk about Prince Siegfried, who's going to be King Siegfried. And uh, he ends up meeting Odette, who is cursed to be a swan during the day and can only be a person at night. And the story is mostly about feelings and about them uh, the world's getting intertwined and uh, them sort of ending up falling for each other in the end. So princes and curses and falling in love. And swans. And can you tell me how uh, how your FlameCon 2018 is going for you right now? This is the first time that we've ever been in Flame, at FlameCon or in New York. So uh, overall I'd say the con has been a pretty big success and, uh, and we're sold out of at least one of our books. So I'd say, yeah, the, the con has been pretty good. Thank you. And if there's one thing that you could tell our listeners, what would it be? I don't know if there's one specifically for female body people. Just anything else, whatever you feel like saying. This is my open-ended question for, like, whatever. Just say whatever you want. 
this is a great experience and uh, if anyone out there is thinking of uh, working on a comic I'd say just do it just uh, just start that's the biggest that's the hardest step that you're ever gonna have to take but once you get started uh, it'll all just go from there so uh, uh, keep working and create keep creating great content and uh, looking forward to seeing all your work out in the world at some point in time thank you so much Hi, this is Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm at FlameCon 2018, and I'm here with... Sandra Manzuera. Hi, and so I see uh, some comics here. Um, Pigeon of Destiny and Fresh Romance. Um, so I take it that you've worked on both? Um, this is actually my, my table partner who's not here with me. Um, I'm kind of just covering for her for now, but I could talk to you about the comics if you want. I'd love to hear about the comics, and I'd love to hear about how you guys are selling here at FlameCon. Yeah, we're selling really well. Um, so, Pigeon of Destiny is actually a comic that um, was inspired by a Choose Your Own Adventure comics and stories. Um, basically, the main character is a pigeon, and you pretty much get to choose what the pigeon does that day and how things go for this pigeon. It could be like something great, something fantastical, or something a little, you know, less less great. So it's really, really, it's a fun story for kids as well as adults. Hi, and uh, I'm sorry for accidentally asking you about the wrong comics, but I also see the jelly jar here. Is that your comic? Yes, this is my comic. <laughs> it's a mini comic for now. Um, so the jelly jar is about a girl from the 1950s who is in love with different sea life and there's a storm that occurs in this aquarium that she's visiting and she saves just impulsively decides to rescue four jellyfish from the tank before the storm hits the aquarium and she basically becomes the mother to these four jellyfish by saving them inside a jar with seawater um, so that's basically where I am at the story right now um, we'll see where it goes from there so how has FlameCon 2018 been for you guys, sales-wise? Sales-wise, it's been really, really good. I'm really impressed by the amount of um, attention that we've gotten on our table. A lot of people love the stickers um, from my friend's side of the table, and a lot of people have gotten my uh, postcards as well as my prints and mini-comics. So it's good. Thank you so much. And if there's one thing you could tell our listeners, what would it be? Um, definitely support indie comics and zines and um, artists because they, they just have so much passion for this artwork. Thank you so much. This is Kate Fitzsimmons from PW Comics World More to Come, and I'm here with Introduce Yourselves. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scoble. I'm the managing editor of Brooklyn Monthly, a digital fiction magazine that uh, publishes comics with a female gaze and a progressive bent online uh, and in print. I'm Leanne Centaur. I work at Sparkler, and I'm also the, man the marketing director at Seven Seas Entertainment, the manga company. Great. So how has this year's FlameCon been for you at FlameCon 2018? Incredible. This is such a good show. We've just, it's such a positive vibe. Uh, everyone here has just been wonderful. You know, we're just selling books and talking to people and making really good connections. I feel like the crowd here is like the really fun side of New York. <laughs> I love New Yorkers, but like especially these New Yorkers. It's been great. So if there's one thing that you can tell to our listeners, what would it be? Uh, come to FlameCon. FlameCon is great. If you just want positivity, no matter who you are, what your background is, this is the place to find it. 
Yeah, if you want to see kind of what comics are like online, this is a huge webcomic con, and just kind of where comics as a medium is going. FlameCon has got a really good picture on the post, so totally recommend it. Thank you so much. Great job, Kate. You are always on the scene. Great interviews. Yeah. And, <laughs> and on that note, there will be... More? To... Come.